Hi everyone and very warm welcome to Menopause, the Good, the Bad and the Downright Sweaty. I'm Diane Danzibrink and as ever I am here with my fabulous co-host, the lovely Sophie Claus. Hey Hi Sophie, well, how are you doing? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> we're both suffering, I'm just finishing a cold and I think you're just getting it, aren't you? I feel like I'm getting it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, apologies for apologies for the voices which may or may not run out. Be our husky telephone voices. <laughs> <laughs> or me choking halfway through. One of the two. I'm not surprised though that you've had a cold because the last week, well, and beyond that actually, mm. has been an absolute whirlwind. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a little bit full on, lovely, nonstop. <laughs> so the plan was was for me to take a bit of time out during August um, because I've got a book to write, um, which I've written the introduction for. That's all so far. Stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has been a bit full on. So. Um, oh, I can't really remember where it started, but. Hey, so I think it was about a week ago um, I did this morning with the lovely, and they really are lovely, the lovely Ruth and Eamon. Um, so brilliantly for a programme that has the, you know, kind of the kind of following that it has. Do you know how many people watch it? I don't know. I guess it's in the, a few million. Yeah, I would have thought. A few million I know it's. I know it's a big, big daytime audience. Um, brilliantly, they decided that they were going to do something on menopause, and it came out of, I believe, a conversation that one of the producers was having with Ruth. Um, and they decided that they wanted to do a bit more on it. And having done a bit of daytime TV. Um, I know how kind of tight the margins are on time. Um, and I couldn't believe it when they said they were going to do two sections of sort of eight or nine minutes. It was like, oh my goodness. It's 20 is, minutes. Yeah, it's like TV gold. It's it just incredible. Um, which was brilliant. So I was invited to go on um, along with Anne Henderson, and Anne is a consultant gynaecologist who's also a menopause specialist, and she's actually a medico legal expert as well. You might remember I did the vlog with her yes. about. So if anybody wants to find that and watch it, um, if you find my YouTube page, which is my name, Diane Danzibrink, um, then you can find that there. And that's she, she gives some really useful information. But essentially, they wanted us to talk about... They really invited me on as a therapist who, you know, sort of has a lot of experience working with women experiencing menopause because they wanted to touch on the more emotional side mm -hmm. and also the psychological symptoms just because we always focus... On, on the physical. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as you and I know, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, actually the psychological symptoms can be hugely debilitating. They can have a real negative impact. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so they wanted to talk about that for sort of eight or nine minutes, and then we went away for half an hour, and then came back again, and they did a phone-in. Yes, and you had um, quite an upset 
Or not, I wouldn't say upset. Um, emotional. Quite an emotional caller, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the first lady was very emotional um, and quite complex as well. Mm. Um, so we arranged that I would speak to her after the programme. And I did. I actually had a 40-minute telephone call with her she, after the programme. My um, heart broke for her. I, I know. Heard. It was so... I think what she was saying would resonate with, yeah, with so, so many, many. Mm. but I'm delighted to say that she was much happier at the end of the 40 minute call she had all the information that she needed she knew what she was going to do um, and she was off to make an appointment with her doctor so yeah so that was positive and I kind of thought you know sort of we did it and it was great um, I you know, have said to them it would be great to do some more because the feedback even during the programme was huge. Mm. And then I looked at social media. There was a bit of a frenzy, <laughs> wasn't there, afterwards? And social media just went... Just exploded with Bananas. It, My, you know, sort of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram... Um, my emails, and then I looked at their social media. I looked at this morning's social media, and off the top of my head, the last time I looked, which was about three days ago, uh, the clip had been viewed 660,000 times. My goodness. There were 3,300 comments, and... I mean, I spent the weekend going through, scrolling through and, you know, answering. I couldn't answer nearly all of but I answered some. Um, and one of my fabulous moderators on the Menopause Support Network, the private Facebook group, she spent a lot of time going through signposting people. So thank you, Andrea. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, but it was just... You know, we've you and I have talked about this mm. before. You know, you you run your group, etc. It's heartbreaking. It is. It's and just to see women in such a vulnerable state, which is so unnecessary, and they're just full of frustration and feel isolated and just completely alone in it because mm. they're they are asking for help, mm. but they're just not receiving it and then they walk away thinking oh I must be mad or it's just in my head yeah and I think you know the amount of them that had said you know they've been on antidepressants for such a long time and you know the program had made them realize that actually it wasn't antidepressants that they needed and this kind of general lack of information that women are provided that you know sort of could help them make the right decision for them at the right time to help them with their symptoms and also their long-term health you know it just it frustrates me it angers me um i find it really difficult to understand how supposedly intelligent people in positions of you know great authority have not put two and two together mm. and have not recognized that okay simple stuff what else is going to happen to every single woman? Because as you and I both know, even periods are not going to happen to every single woman. Exactly. But menopause is. I can't think of a single thing that's going to... Apart from birth and death, I can't think of a single thing that's going to happen, not just to every woman, but to every man too. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a single thing. So for me... 
It's really simple stuff. Okay, so this is going to happen to everybody. So let's make sure that all our healthcare professionals can recognise the symptoms because there are 30 plus. Let's make sure that as women go through their lives, at various points in their lives, they're offered information about this so that as they feel it's happening to them, they can make informed decisions. That means they won't have to experience the worst of the symptoms. And it needs to be factual and up-to-date information because more often than not, people are still referring to outdated outdated information and some people are still putting the fear factor into women regarding hrt exactly lovely and you know sort of and that then will help women to protect their long-term health and what's the result of that you have a healthier happier population who don't you know sort of they don't have to leave work when they don't feel they want to Mm You know, sort of, it definitely has an impact on relationships. Obviously, not all. Lots of things have really impacts on relationships, but we know that it does. But overall, long-term health. What's that going to do for the national budget? It's going to save a fortune. Well, because the amount of women being referred to car- cardiologists, rheumatologists, psychiatrists. Yeah. It's, it's just never-ending. Yeah, it's, it's tragic and woeful, and it shouldn't be happening, and it's a national disgrace. Actually, it's an international disgrace, because, you know, more and more I'm hearing from women in America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, etc., etc. Ireland, you know, kind of, they're having a terrible time. Um, so I don't get it. I don't see how, you know, how intelligent women around the world are saying why isn't this happening and yet it isn't happening it's just I don't a simple get it. question if a woman goes to the doctor and said oh i'm really not feeling great i feel low in energy really fatigued i feel really anxious mm. the first question should be how are your periods yeah. or are you ever having any other symptoms yeah do a Not, symptom checker. Oh, here's a prescription for antidepressants. Which yeah. obviously the antidepressants are brilliant if you have depression. Well, they have their place, um, but their place generally should be short term. Mm. But it's not first line treatment for menopause. No. Um, so yeah, it's you know it was a fabulous opportunity to share some factual evidence based information with women we need much much more of it um but the you know kind of the response has just been absolutely phenomenal and then of course we went straight into the weekend where there was all the press about the clinic in cambridge is was it is it is it cambridge I can't remember, I can't remember now. Clinic somewhere, which is harvesting ovarian tissue, and the headlines essentially were around delaying menopause like for 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you read below the headlines and you see that actually we've only got nine case studies in the UK. Those women are all under 36. Um, it costs between seven and eleven thousand pounds to have this procedure done. Um, we don't know what the long term effects will be or how long it will last. Um, it's never going to be available on the NHS because the NHS is bust now, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> when I read the article, I, I sat and I looked at Steve and I said, What a load of bollocks! <laughs> because when you actually read into it. Mm. 
it's just ludicrous. Mm. It, you know, firstly, that sort of amount of money wouldn't be a viable choice for lots of people. For the vast majority. But with only nine trials, I wouldn't do that to my body. No. Obviously, not now, but I wouldn't have ever thought about... But also, when that you that think time. about it, what you and I know is that, you know, kind of this idea of an average age of menopause is really nonsense it's because you know inaccurate. i know i know what they're saying is on average women between 51 and 52 don't have any more periods that's when their periods they've had 12 months without a period however that perimenopausal time that can last that can start generally for a lot of women that's starting in their late 30s early 40s um and the idea is then, well, so when do you re-implant the tissue? At exactly. what point do you do that? And if you have it harvested at 25, they're saying it could delay it for 20 years. So let's say you have it re-implanted at 44. They're saying top whack, it could last you 20 years. So you then go into menopause at 64. Mm-hmm. So but if you have your tissue harvested in your late 30s, they're saying five years potentially. So you have your tissue harvested in your late 30s, you have it re-implanted at 45, you go through your menopause at 50. Which? I, you know, I'm, no sure, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. But for me, nine case studies and between seven and 11 grand. And also, you know, I mean, so you did say it had been a bit of a whirlwind and it has because so far this week I've done 14 radio interviews about this. <laughs> I'm surprised you still have a voice there. <laughs> um, and, you know, sort of what I've tried to stress in all of them is if we spent all this airtime and all this media time giving women factual evidence-based information about the safe, effective treatment that we already have, which is plant-derived, body-identical hormone replacement therapy, which is not, as I saw it reported, one-size-fits-all. It's definitely not one-size-fits-all. I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as we know, there's around 50 different products. Mm -hmm. Lots of them come in different strengths. It's about the right combination for the right woman. Um, you know, sort of again, that same old fear has been rolled out. I'm about, still encountering that a lot. Yeah, in, in about breast cancer. Um, so you know, kind of let's be clear that women who use estrogen only, so if they've had a hysterectomy, if they've had their womb removed, they have no increased risk. Women who use the oldest and what some might consider the worst combination, which is a old type of progestogen, which is in a handful of, is still in, is still in some products. Um, the facts are that if you're on the oral, so that's tablet, worst type of HRT, your, your risk of, your increased risk of cancer is slightly less than somebody who drinks two units of alcohol a night. Or eats five bits of cake a day. It's, yeah. it's all... Yeah. Why do they still prescribe it? That the one? older type? Yeah, the older type. To be honest, I think it's because for some people, transdermal doesn't work. 
Okay. So for some people, they simply cannot absorb transdermal. Well, that's me, isn't it? I did. They absorb. simply can't absorb transdermal well. So we do have to have these options, but you know, I think most, certainly most menopause specialists, and you and I both know that there aren't enough of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most menopause specialists would tell you that the goal, what they would call gold standard treatment, would either be a transdermal gel or a transdermal patch mm-hmm. and if you still have your womb you need progesterone too um, and that would be something called a micronized progesterone the kind of rough estimate for that per month um, on the end that the cost for the NHS I would say is roughly between eight and nine pounds um, but we do need to have the oral tablets and the oral tablets have several different types of progestogens in them. So the progestogen that was used in that particular trial back in, so started in 1993, ended early in 2002, is something called MPA, mm-hmm. which I believe, if I can get this right, is progesterone acetate. Now, there is probably... I think off the top of my head, there are two products that have MPA in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is, different women respond differently to different progestogens. What and are I the think, products? Do you, do you know the names? Oh, the two so. names. Off mm. the top of my head, I can't remember. Yeah. Lovely. Um, but I think the thing is, is, you know, sort of most or certainly all menopause specialists are well aware of, you know, kind of, as I say, this gold standard um and this you know kind of this constant um you know kind of conversation that goes on around the risk is actually precluding so many women from having access to a tri- and if you think about it um i i think we've spoken about this but, but if you think about it so we're living so much longer without this vital hormone which you know kind of our whole body responds to estrogen yeah so our cognitive function our brain our heart sorry yeah. that is cognitive and brain the same thing oh well <laughs> bones heart yeah just absolutely so all of it you know kind of we know that we know that our bone health um is helped by estrogen we know that our heart health as we age is helped by estrogen we're learning more and more about brain health i mean it's just the most fascinating area of research but i think the thing is women aren't having the option to make an informed decision because of a this general lack of information b the lack of education amongst healthcare professionals general healthcare professionals Mm. um and c this rolling out constantly every time menopause is mentioned in the press this you know kind of this old discredited and it's really important to say that this whi yeah this whi study from 2002 it has been discredited by every single menopause professional menopause association around the world which says it speaks volumes yeah it could brings the question why is it constantly referred to and instead why does the media not focus on the positives of hrt 
do an article on all the different options available. Yeah, but we have reams of research Mm. saying how safe it is. So is there an element of risk? Yes. For some women on some products, there is a tiny element of risk. But the problem is, is that the vast majority are missing out on, you know, kind of certainly helping their symptoms and then bone, brain and heart health. And am I saying everybody should be on it? No, of course I'm not, because that's not my choice. And obviously there's many, there's quite a few women that cannot take HRT. Absolutely. But it should be that every woman gets to make an informed choice. And at the moment, that's just not the situation. That's the key message, isn't it? That a woman should be given a choice. Yeah. And when they're going to the doctors and just being told, no, you can't have that because your great great aunt Edna had high blood pressure. Yeah. Or you can't have this because of this. And they're actually not being told. They're not being given options. No. They're not being told about the potential risks or their concerns about Mm. it. They're just being told no Mm. and then being given sedatives or sleeping pills one lady I recently was given antipsychotics oh yeah I've yeah because she was very anxious and she said that she felt really really nervous behind the wheel of a car which she'd never had before and she Mm. was shaking Mm. um I felt a bit kind of detached and Mm. she was given antipsychotics yeah I've I've actually heard an awful story this week about somebody who has been on very serious antipsychotic medication for six years and it becomes it's addictive isn't it and has just been re-diagnosed and the original diagnosis has been thrown out the window and it turns out that everything she's been experiencing is about her menopause symptoms I mean that's I can't think of a word to explain disgraceful doesn't even come anywhere near it incomprehensible isn't it the impact of those on that poor woman taking those medications that no doubt made her feel sedated, probably unable to continue. Oh, it's with destroyed her, six her. years of her life. She's never going to get that back. She's been robbed of that. Absolutely. And but the thing is, nobody will, you know, kind of nobody will be challenged about that. That's not going to. That's not going to go anywhere. But that should go somewhere. Exactly. That should be a test case. Yeah. You know that is be abs- escalated. That is absolutely disgusting. What I just find completely frustrating is obviously all GP practices or Mm. healthcare practitioners, no doubt they have a monthly staff meeting or they have a monthly get together in the practice. Then, yeah, I would think that I would think. You'd assume so. Yeah, definitely. Most companies, regardless of what line they're in, they, they do that. So, why not in one of those meetings say, right, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon? We're going to talk about the menopause today. We're going to look at the current products available, talk about any contraindications. Get the nice guidelines out. Have the symptom tracker. Yeah, nice, actually read the nice guidelines. Yeah. And all it needs to be is an, a half an hour even, or a one hour meeting yeah. for them just to go through and then they'll leave that and then they'll have doctors and nurses in the practice all talking off the same page mm. all giving consistent information mm. I, I just don't understand why in 2019 no one's thought to do that simple stuff because those simple steps could make a huge difference one of um i spoke to a lady the other day who said um oh she, she's she's kind of perimenopausal yeah. and she's really 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 anxious yeah. and she's to surmise, she stopped going on trains, planes, doesn't like to leave the house, mm. um, like a journey longer than 45 minutes, wants yep. to stay at home. Um, 
And I said to her, you know, I really think you, you, you need some hormone replacement therapy. And she went, oh, you know, because my mum had a bad time on it, I've been told that I can never touch the stuff. Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean your mum had a bad time? Oh, well, she got a rash when she took it. And that is the basis for her GP saying, no, you can't take any form of HRT. And of course, HRT is probably very different to how it was when her mum took it. Anyway, her mum probably had oral HRT. She did. She could have transdermal HRT now. If transdermal didn't suit her, she could swap to something else. There was no convincing her to speak go back to her GP. She went, no, you know, they've said it, I, I cannot take it. See, and this is the thing, isn't it? This is the problem we have with this idea that, you know, kind of, well, the GP says, so the GP knows. And, you know, kind of, what do we hear time and time again? And don't get me wrong, I know there are some fabulous GPs out there doing great work, but we hear far too often, you know, sort of, the GP says this, the GP says that you know, kind of believe nothing, question everything Mm -hmm. because the GP is only human and the GP is only as good as their education and their education in menopause is generally, excuse my language, shite. (laughs) You know, it really is. It's just, you know, the thing is, and I can't get my head around this either, so we'll talk about why I'm cross today. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get my head around this either. So... The Royal College of GPs produced the curriculum mm-hmm. for general practitioners, okay? There are, I think, I'm prepared to be corrected, I think there are 31 medical schools around the country. The Gen- Royal College of General Practitioners do not approve the curriculums that are taught in each of those medical schools. Those medical schools all teach a different curriculum. That makes no sense. So everyone's being taught different things. Yep. Which is I, why it's a bit of a postcode lottery with what help and guidance you receive because it depends what medical school they went to. Yep. And if they were taught anything, anything or nothing. And because some people don't even get taught anything about medical school. No, some school. people get taught nothing at all. Um, so they... And it's just like, hang on a minute, what? So you're telling me that... Our, so remember that the first two years at medical school is all medical practitioners. So you're telling me that our medical practitioners do not get taught a standard curriculum. They don't get taught the same curriculum across the board. It's different in all the different medical schools. And you don't approve any of those. So you produce the guidelines for that, but you don't approve the curriculums. Now for me... I think that's bonkers because if they were if they were lawyers or accountants and they had a gaping hole in their education which was costing people money there would be marches on the streets. Mm-hmm. I just so what I would say, so why doesn't women's health matter? Sorry, Sophie's gone all quiet. Sorry, she hasn't got an answer. I, I'm just... <laughs> I'm actually holding my head in my hands. I just, I'm just so shocked. I just. But the more you dig, it's basically saying oh, women just don't matter to us. But the thing is, the more you dig, the more you find out, the more you realise that actually the whole system needs a complete overhaul. And what's really interesting is that when you, so a couple of you know that I, you know, kind of I do quite a lot with 
um, menopause specialist doctors. I've got friends who are now menopause. Well, they've always been menopause specialist doctors. They're now my friends. Um, When they run an education day, they are oversubscribed because it's not that GPs don't want to know. And I'm not saying for a moment that they all want to know. I'm sure there's a percentage of them that don't. But a lot of these GPs really want to know. They really want to understand this stuff. But it's just not being available. So my argument is, if we're 51% of the population, it's going to happen to all of us. It's costing doctors time in repeat appointments. Costing the NHS lots of money. Yep, the NHS money. It's costing women, which then goes on to cost the economy. Surely... It's a win-win situation to give them maybe, you know, you rightly said it, probably a one or two hour presentation. Mm. Just give them that opportunity. It's so hard to get, it's so hard to get your head around. It's really difficult to get your head around. But for me, the more I find out about the training, the more I think, do you know what, this just needs overhauling completely and totally. They could even send out a... Like compulsory to all the NHS emails, menopause training that you log on to, and it's compulsory that you do it. Mm. You know, if if people can't physically go, that they can log on and do a, a training segment in mm. it, and then get quizzed at the end. What do you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so many options now. You know, it's it's almost impossible to believe that we've got to this stage. And actually, the only reason that it's being looked at at all is because people like you and me are saying, what the hell? It's you, the Make Menopause Matter campaign. Yeah. It's obviously got 28,000 I think signatures. we're nearly 30 now. <gasps> Brilliant. <laughs> ah, so nearly 30,000 signatures. I think we're nearly 30 now. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I know that you see and speak to women a lot too, but it, it's... You know, the group, I think the private Facebook group, the Menopause Support Network's now got over 9,000 um, people. Says it all. Um, and it's just... And I know that 9,000 people is scratching the surface. Yeah, there's probably many that aren't on social media. Yeah. So they're not... What really worries me is that the amount of women that are going through the menopause, not getting the treatment they needed, mm. then they're... in their careers, their relationships, their friendships, home life is being hugely impacted. Mm. In some cases, falling apart. Yep. Then they go back to the doctors because they, they have become depressed yep. as a result of struggling for years unnecessarily. And it's just the fact it's so avoidable if they were just to actually give the information, make it accessible, make it compulsory for GPs to take yep. part in training and other healthcare practitioners. Mm. It's just common sense. Yeah, I mean, I totally, you know, I completely agree with you. The thing that, probably the thing that um, worries me the most are, so I spoke to a lady in my clinic the other day, because these are the women that I quite often see, the ones who are right at the end of their tether. And I spoke to a lady in my clinic the other day, and she said how things had got so dark for her that she had been making plans for how she could end her life. And my worry is how many of those women don't get to talk to somebody that gets it 
They don't understand what it's like to feel like that. They don't get the right help. And of course, you know, you only have to look at the the national suicide figures to see that, you know, sort of the, the greatest risk amongst women is between the ages of 50 and 54. Um, I think if anything is going to drive those of us that are committed to this campaign to keep going, it's that. Keeping women safe. Yeah. And because giving them the help and support. Yeah, absolutely. When you they know, need sort of, it. It's, it's absolutely vital. And I just don't think it can be... I just really don't think that we can underestimate the devastating impact for some of these women. Um, if you have been, if you feel that you're struggling, you're listening to this, um, there are lots of resources out there. Um, you can certainly come and join the Menopause Support Network on Facebook. You can find me via menopausesupport.co.uk or dianedanzibrink.com. Soph, you run a lovely group. A little group in, in Hitchin. Hitchin called the Menopause Club. So we're on Facebook, the Menopause Club Hitchin. And is that once a month? Yes, once a month. It's the last Monday of the month. Um, but also we would like to start more support groups. It's yeah. free. Yeah. Um, so if anyone listening would actually like to start a club in their area, then please do contact me. You can contact both Diane and I on hellomenopausepodcast at hotmail.com. And also, Diane, for people listening yep. who want to listen, who maybe haven't seen this morning or mm. heard you on the radio, <laughs> can they? where can they find those um, links? So if you go to menopausesupport.co.uk, you can find a lot of that stuff there. Um, so we've now been chatting for 33 minutes. This was supposed to be short, <laughs> but we hope that it's been helpful, hope that it's given you sort of somewhere to go if you're struggling. Um, don't ever feel that you're completely alone. Um, we get this stuff. We've both been there um, and that's why we do what we do. So reach out and, you know, sort of there is, as I say, I now run a group of 9,000. Sophie runs her lovely group locally. Um, there are other places that we can signpost you to. Um, but as I say, don't feel that you're on your own. Um, we get this stuff and we both send love. And, and massive hugs. Of course, always. <laughs> um, and we will go away and reconvene and come back with another one of these. And I think, are we going to talk about work again for the next one? Menopause in the workplace. Okay, lovelies. So we shall look forward to connecting with you next time. Yeah, see you soon. Bye.